Hello and welcome to the Common Good Podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and explores how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities both at home and overseas. My name is Craig Telfer and today I am delighted to welcome Simon Hunter, a Professor of Applied Psychology at the University, back onto the show to talk about the findings from a groundbreaking Scottish Stigma Mental Health Survey. Simon, great to see you again today. How's things? You too, Craig. Yep, great to be back again. Excellent. Now, you and I first recorded a podcast together in January. That was the first Common Good podcast of 2022. And that was recorded not long after the survey launched. So before we start talking about the findings, it might be worthwhile to look back at the survey itself and put that into context. So what is the Scottish Stigma Mental Health Survey? When we first met uh, back in January, it was the Scottish Mental Illness Stigma uh, Survey, and the study was based on a survey of people with living with kind of severe and enduring mental illness. And we were looking to find out more about their experiences of stigma across lots of different areas of life. That survey ended up, uh, we, we weren't able to recruit certain groups that we wanted to hear more from. So, for example, there weren't as many um, men there weren't as many people from minority ethnic communities. So there was one or two groups that we wanted to, mm-hmm. to find out more from. So we followed up the uh, stigma survey with uh, qualitative interviews. And there was interviews and focus groups. And that included about 70 people in total right. who were able to tell us a bit more about groups and, and areas that we wanted to find out more about. So it was really just to find out what their experiences of stigma were across a whole range of areas of their life. We described that survey as and that study as being groundbreaking. Why was that the case? So that kind of survey has never been carried out in Scotland or indeed in the UK before. Um, there have been a number of studies that have looked at stigma in particular areas, so perhaps stigma in relation to your healthcare use or your relationships, but not across all the areas of life that we were looking at. So we were looking at 14 Mm -hmm. life areas altogether and we were building on an Australian study the Australian National Stigma Report card and that was the first of its kind in the world and we were building on that and using that as a basis to um, guide our study and since then in Canada they've now carried out a similar study in Canada as well so we're part of a kind of international team who are working on these issues. I listened back to the podcast we recorded in January when I was pulling together my notes for this it's a very interesting listen if you haven't listened to it please go ahead and do so but when you spoke about the the 14 different areas that you were exploring I I was taken aback by that I didn't realise there were so many different aspects of, of mental health and how it could affect so many different Different aspects of a person's life. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing that the, the Australian survey was built on the back of a lot of work with people who experience stigma and making sure that it touched on and explored every possible area that stigma mm. might rear its head. Uh, so we had, as I say, we had lots and lots of different areas that we were looking at. And one of the things, and I know we'll get on to this, but one of the things that, that struck me was that none of those were redundant. Uh, stigma was experienced in all those areas of life and it was just a, a pervasive experience that people have in everything and everything they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah we'll come on and talk about some of the responses to the survey just shortly but can you tell me then some of the people that you did speak to were you able finally to, to get that big cross-section of people you were looking for? I think when we, we spoke you'd estimated over the course of the study you'd speak to between four or five hundred people? Yes so we were in that in that range. So um, to begin with, we got uh, 346 people who had completed the survey. 
that included 10 people who chose to have a supported completion of that. So we offered people the chance to either just kind of click on a link and take part in that, or they could contact us and we could go through that with them, okay. um, a kind of video call or something. So 10 people chose to do that. And then in our follow-up, we had another 70 people who took part in interviews and focus groups. So around about 20 people all together. And we got people from all across Scotland in all different walks of life and lots of different ages and so on. What kind of things did the survey ask them? Uh, so it asked people about their experiences of stigma across a number of different domains. I also asked them about their beliefs about what the, not just how often they experienced that stigma, but what kind of impact that stigma had. We asked them about examples of stigma, what kind of things they had actually gone through. We also asked about whether they saw others as holding stigmatizing views, whether they themselves thought and believed some of those things as well, what they thought about others. Um, and then finally, we kind of looked at um, some uh, of the positive aspects as well and asked whether there was anything good that kind of came out of these experiences. Were there any positive responses? In terms of positive experiences, one of the things that came out most clearly was seeing other people who were living successfully with mental illness. Okay. And um, so people mentioned that, particularly in relation to seeing that on social media, that that was really inspiring for a lot of people to see that other people could be experiencing the same as they were, but living full and, um, you know, fulfilled lives rather than having a, a purely negative impact. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the main findings then from the survey. What are the main takeaways from this, Simon? So the main findings for me, I think, one was that stigma was experienced in every area of life that we looked at. And we mentioned briefly what those areas were. We had things like relationships. We had in physical health care, mental health care, legal uh, and justice services, education, employment, housing. Everywhere Everything. people yeah. could, everywhere you live your life, and um, people experience stigma. And that was one of the most, I think, upsetting parts of the results of the study was just how pervasive that was in people's lives. That was one of the things that, that came out. The other thing that came out that I thought was, again, interesting and that dovetailed with some of the work that this was coming out of Australia as well was that the most frequent impact and where the impact was, where, where stigma was having the most impact uh, was in personal relationships with family and friends. And I'm not sure that's something I would have necessarily expected beforehand. Although, as I say, the Australian study did did find that as well. So interpersonal relationships was a, a um, big part of the study. And the last thing I think for me that was really interesting was this link between experiences of stigma that people had and then their concerns and worries that they were going to see that happen again and again and it was going to happen in the future. And the people reported they would then just withdraw from different areas right. of life. So if you'd experienced stigma in past employment, you would expect to see it again in the future. And right. therefore, you just withdraw from, from employment opportunities. Jumping back a wee step to the stuff that surprised you there about the, the interpersonal relationship, could you, you talk a wee bit more about that? What did people say when they were discussing that aspect? So in terms of the impact on family and friends, that was the one that came out as occurring most frequently. Right. So the people in our survey were people who said that they had experienced stigma in the past 12 months, and that was the area of life that the most people had experienced stigma. It was also the area of life that people said had the most impact on their on their well-being and, and what they would do in their, in their everyday lives. 
and the kind of examples that they came away with um, or that they gave of stigma um, included things like simply being rejected by family and friends and uh, people not understanding mm-hmm. what they were doing and and these kind of stereotypes that people have of, of mental illness where people are either incapable of making their own decisions or are in some way dangerous. Um, so, you know, experiencing that from, from close family and friends was was particularly upsetting for people. Yeah, I can imagine that sounds that sounds really difficult to, to deal with. But was there any specific things from the survey that jumped out at you? Was there any responses that people gave that I mean, might have surprised you, shocked you, anything like that? I think for me, it was how stark the relationship was between the experiences of stigma and subsequently withdrawing from those areas of life. I mean, it, it was really a kind of clear, it seemed like a very clear link. And that was something that we followed up on in the interviews and the focus groups. And again, people mentioned that if they'd experienced stigma in the past, then they would, because they thought it was just going to happen again, then they would withdraw from, from different areas. What would an example of that be? So, for example, going to your GP and if your your concerns and physical health complaints are being dismissed or ignored because, mm-hmm. well, that person's, you know, we've got, we know they've got a mental illness. So right, okay. They probably aren't really feeling as bad as they are making out. Then you, people end up in the future not going back to GPs, not phoning 999. People reported that they wouldn't phone 999 in an emergency because they might be dismissed because this kind of thing might be on, on, a, on a record somewhere. Mm-hmm. So that... That kind of snowballing of withdrawal, I think, happened. So how do we put these findings from this project into our practical context? What can we do with the results? I think it's a big task, because partly because it's so pervasive. I mean, it's in so many areas of life. CME, who, who funded the research, they are brilliantly placed to be able to lead on making change from this. But they've also been very clear that they as an organisation can't do everything that needs to be done. So it needs to be a real sea change in attitudes. The government needs to be leading on this. There needs to be social policy change, but also needs to be change in how people in everyday life understand mental illness, changes around employment or justice and so on. So it, it, needs, a, 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 it needs to be tackled at a society level rather than one group leading on that on that change. That sounds like it's quite difficult to achieve. I'm thinking I, I don't have any examples in front of me, perhaps empirical, but like uh, cuts to support for like mental health charities when you, you're seeing them being, being slashed. So I imagine this is quite a difficult thing to try and implement then in the current climate. It is. It's going to be like everything else. It's going to be fighting for, for funding. But I think the you know, things that we can do is try to share the the findings in a kind of tailored way with key stakeholders to engage with them, to engage with, for example, policymakers, with people who've got lived experience, and with funders and researchers from a, a more academic point of view, but trying to figure out how we can address this, you know, a, a really wide range of issues, and that's something that, that as I say, see me alone can't do. That we need. Uh, an array of different charities mm-hmm. to, to help lead into this. Employers, the Scottish Government, uh, we need a, a very concerted effort. Well, the findings from the study, will you, can you use that in the way you, you teach the students at the university? Does that change the curriculum at all, anything like that? Uh, I know that the university has an action plan around how to, how to deal with poor mental health amongst students. So that's certainly one area in which we'll be looking to tailor results and to uh, inform the uh, university and work with the university about how exactly we can deal with that. Mm-hmm.
I say it's a, a real sea change that the everyday language that people use is so imbued with stigma and stigmatizing language that can make people feel like they're excluded from a space or left out. Mm-hmm. So trying to to get people to understand that the language that they use and the, the things that they're doing, the ways that they're acting, um, can often exclude people in ways that they're not thinking about is, is one thing we can start to do, I think. We do seem to be seeing a sea change in mental health. Certainly, again, I want to use my own experience here, but it now it's moved from sort of like a fringe discussion to the real prominent part of people's consciousness. Are, are you seeing that change as well? I think so, definitely. Um, I mean, you see that even things like football, where you, you see yeah. um, footballers talking about their um, difficulties that they're having with mental health, and people are, are starting to accept and realise much more that mental health is a real kind of gradient from feeling healthy to having poor mental health or mental illness, and that it's not just a, a black and white one mm-hmm. or the other. Um, so I think the more people realise that that they've got and that they, they experience mental health in particular ways, then they can perhaps start to be more sympathetic or empathetic towards other people who perhaps further on that on that gradient or have got more serious or enduring problems. I know this has been a, a large project and a significant project that's taken up quite a lot of your time, so I'm a bit wary of asking this next question, but what happens next? What's next in the horizon for you? I, I think partly we're looking to disseminate these findings and try to make sure that they have as much impact as possible, as quickly as possible, but kind of enduring can help to, to lead to enduring change. We're also looking to follow up this study with more studies in the future. Of course, that's always the case in, in academia. <laughs> um, there are particular things you know, we would like to, for example, the, the timescales that the study was working within meant that we weren't able to get ethics to recruit people through the NHS. And during the, the survey, we did have contact, for example, from people working within the NHS saying okay. they would like to, to, to support their clients to, to complete the survey, but we weren't able to do that. So that might be one way we would try to improve the survey and learn more in the future uh, about experiences of people who are specifically in contact. So we might be able to, to, to do that in the future. And I think that would be one way to get a better representation of, of people who are living with enduring and severe mental illness in Scotland. What about the relationship between GCU and CME? Where do you see that going next? Well, we're hoping to, to develop that. I mean, we, we'd certainly be really keen to support them in their work, developing the impact from this piece of work. I would imagine that if we were able to uh, secure future funding, it would be in partnership with CME, with, with the Mental Health Foundation, with the lines between, with everyone who's involved. And we've got a really healthy and productive partnership with all those groups at the moment. So being able to work together to, to deliver something uh, in the future would be really important. But from, from our point of view with, with CME, I think they dovetail really nicely with the GCU mission to kind of pursue the, the common good. And um, we would be looking to increase and, and help support that impact. Well, Simon, that was absolutely fantastic to talk to you today. Thank you very much for speaking with me. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Sorry that's, that's, that, that was the pause there for you to, <laughs> you to say. Thanks very much. Um, I'll try that again. Simon, great to have you on the show. 
great. Uh, it, was, it was lovely to be here, uh, Craig. It was great to speak to you again. Excellent. Thank you very much. I'd also like to thank everyone for listening to this episode, and I hope you can tune in next time when we'll be in conversation with another member of the GCU community. The views expressed in the Common Good podcast are those of the participant and don't necessarily represent the views of Glasgow Caledonian University. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. You can get every episode sent straight to your listening device by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and everywhere else. So until the next time, I've been Craig Telfer and this has been the Common Good podcast. Podcast.